Hey, um, how many people were at Shout? <laughs> Only two weeks ago. Does it feel like, oh my goodness, but it's like, man, it was so inspiring, right? The, the thing about who, who came out with fresh dreams? A few people, faith, sense of anointing, ready to go. And it's like, well, where do you go from there? Like, God, I'm ready to push the button. But you know, one of the things that I think that God does is, uh, okay, if we're going to go higher, actually the next step is for you to go deeper. Like if, we, if we're going to reach further, actually I need to build your foundation stronger. So I reckon that I'm so excited that Pastor Sam's doing this series about uh, relationship goals. Because it's like, man, we're going to go and we're going to change the world and we're going to do all that. It's like, okay, you're going to have to get your family stuff sorted out a bit stronger. You, you might have a good marriage, but you're going to have to get a better marriage. You might have good friendships, but you're going to have to get better friendships. Um, when we lived in the Philippines, there was this, a big earthquake and a, and a school, a multi-story school building just kind of constantined and a whole lot of kids were killed. And, and one of the scandals of it was like, oh, the school had just kept adding on more stories to the school, but they'd never strengthened the foundations or the structure. And so under stress, it just collapsed. And so I reckon that's what God's doing around this whole thing. Like, man, if you've got a dream, if you've got a vision, the next step in God is go, I want to dig the foundations deeper. And so I reckon that's the invitation of God in this series, Relationship Goals, is like, come on, if you want to go higher, if you want to go further, come on, let me sort out some stuff at the foundation of your life. Um, some of you know, Pastor Bruce often goes to this verse when he's talking to people who are in ministry. Just says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. It's like, hey, your, your spirituality is not measured by the amazing things that you do for God. God's doing that because he wants to bless those people. But your spirituality is measured by your right relationships that reflect it in peace and joy. The test is not what you do from the front. The test is at your home. And it's kind of, that's a principle that applies for all of us. It's like, oh man, I've got these dreams in business. I've got these dreams in ministry. I've got these dreams in sport or whatever. It's like, that's cool. God can do all that. But actually the test of who you are is your relationships at home. There's a, there's a proverb that, um, that kind of looks a bit sexist to start with. But let me explain. Better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. And it's like, yeah, that's a patriarchal culture, all that, blah, blah, blah. But it's a principle as this. Translate it to modern context. Better, be, better to be renting a one-room apartment than have a kind of multi-million dollar mansion in Remuera, but be sharing with, with a husband who's emotionally detached from you. Better to be renting a flat than be salesman of the year, but your kids hate you and won't talk to you. And it's like, you can have a whole lot of success in a whole lot of other areas, but bottom line, if your relationships suck, A, it's not going to last, and B, you're not going to be happy. And so it's like, man, in this next month, I want to go deeper to have more solid foundations so that I can go higher and further with the dreams that I carry in God. I don't want to end up, uh, as, as Jesus said, gaining the whole world and losing my soul. And so I, I think that, that's why I'm so excited about this series. And it's like, and Jesus, oh, this is Paul actually. Paul defines it in terms of basically this is what it looks like, guys. It's not taking the world. It's like, do you have right relationships? And what does that look like? They're marked by peace and joy. 
Is the, is the core of your life marked by relationships where there's peace and joy? Because that's what the kingdom looks like in you. The kingdom through you can look like big ventures, faith dreams, massive initiatives. But the kingdom in you just looks like there's a bit of peace in your house. And there's a bit of laughter. And things are good at home. And, I, and so that's why I'm so excited about this series. I, how many were at Dr. Lavanya Jewel's ser, uh, session at Shout? It was amazing. It was about addiction. But she talked about this whole thing of brain chemicals, neurotransmitters. And you realize God's actually wired us for this. So she talked about serotonin, the feeling when you're admired or respected, when you're a hero to someone, you're amazing. The feeling that you have when you're in an environment where people just like you. And people get on with you. But then also she talked about oxytocin also gives a good feeling. Listen to this in terms of that thought of Paul's. Feel safe with a group of people. And this is a quote from Dr. Lavinia. It's like at the end of a hard day's work and you go home and you're with your family and you think, I'm finally home, I feel safe. And you shut the front door. Your brain is wired to want to be in environments of peace and safety. How bad is it if going home is like, I'm always walking around on eggshells. I don't know when he's going to erupt. I don't know when she's just going to, I don't know when she's just going to, you know, withdraw and, and, and go into that huff for days. And not, it's like, we're not meant to live in spaces like that. God's wired us in our brain that our brain starts dishing out deliveries of feel-good chemicals when we're in a place where we feel safe, where we can relax, and where people like us. It's right there. And then, on the other hand, she talked about endorphins, a great feeling of laughing, cracking jokes, high fives, exercise, dancing, falling in love, sex, spicy food, and that's a pain-killing effect. And dopamine, higher feeling, even when your team scores a winning goal, unlike the All Blacks last night, or the Warriors, about to get a reward, food, chocolate, cheese, pleasure. And, and so, do you get that? Like, two neurotransmitters all about feeling safe and admired. Two neurotransmitters all about feeling joy and alive. Sounds like, well, come on, we're made for peace and joy. Our brains are wired to have relationships of peace and joy. That's, that, that's, what, that's the foundation that God has wired into our being. And so it's like, man, if life's not like that, we, wanna, we want some new relationship goals. I want to tell you, at a simple level, those are my relationship goals, to live in an environment of peace and joy. Because right, right. my brain is wired to enjoy that kind of environment. Um, and you realize this is, it's not just why, the Bible said this right from the start, you know, right back, Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame. They felt totally safe, maybe because they're naked, they're also looking forward to some, some kind of excitement along the way as well. But it's like, from the start, we're made to feel safe and joyful. And it's like, that's, but here's the thing. It kind of went wrong. And so straight away from chapter 3, it's like, you know, when they saw the fruit and they ate it, down the end, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings. We're made for an environment to feel safe and joyful. Instead, we end up in an environment where we feel unsafe, we withdraw, we cover up, we feel ashamed, we feel dirty, we feel threatened. And it's like, this is not what God meant for us. And you, even with then gone, it says, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid. Man, we're made to feel safe. We're made to feel joyful. Instead, we end up feeling ashamed and afraid and withdrawing and hiding. And it's like, man, this is not what we were made for. You know, and, and, and then, you know, 
God says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? The man, the woman you put here. Like rather than just, vulnerable, yeah, man, I messed up. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling ashamed. It's like, well, it was your fault and her fault. So again, I'm made to feel safe and joyful. Instead, I feel hiding and ashamed and attacking. Welcome to the human condition. Welcome to why we need some relationship goals. But welcome to the good news that the gospel not only heals our relationship with God, it heals our relationship with each other. And the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God comes not just to change the world, but to change your relationships, to bring you back to a place of right relationships where there's peace and joy. The kingdom of God is this. Righteousness, which means right relationships, marked by what? What's the fruit of it? Peace and joy. Man, who wants to do life out of an environment of peace and joy? I do. Few people. I seriously, it's not exciting having dramas. It's not exciting having conflict. It's not exciting spending days or weeks or years withdrawn and isolated. It's not exciting living in a place where you're not connected with people. It's not God's intention for us, and the great news is the gospel came to change it. And I want you to aspire again to have relationship goals that go, man, I want to move towards better relationships where I'm living in the zone of peace and I'm living in the zone of joy. And I want to learn to kind of sort that stuff out in my life. Um, I, at college, the, at the end of the first semester, the Students had to do this assignment about the prodigal son, and I was thinking about it, and Jesus, when he told parables, he basically picked an area of life and used it to illustrate something about the kingdom. So he talked about horticulture, he talked about fishing, uh, he talked about banquets, um, but I thought about, this is interesting, because this one, he just picked the area of relationships, and, yet, and he used it to teach something about God, but it also makes clear some stuff about relationships, because if you know the story, it's about a pretty dysfunctional family. I don't know where mum is, but there's a dad who's fallen out with both sons. Breakdown in relationship. And so Jesus is used to this world of broken relationships, and he, and he uses the story, yes, to teach about God. But this morning, I want to focus on what does it teach you and me about how to do relationships, how to move towards, how to move out of this place of hiddenness and brokenness and bitterness and attacking towards this place of peace and joy. And, and, and it's focused around these three people, the two, the two sons, the prodigal and the elder. I want to suggest to, to us, all of us have elements of the prodigal in our lives, the person who's stuffed up relationship and needs to learn how to repair it. And we've also got elements of the elder brother, the person who's been hurt by people and needs to learn to overcome that. So I want to look about what Jesus talked about, how those two people were challenged to deal with their stuff. And then I want to look about this wonderful father figure who embodies the sense of someone who just navigates broken relationships and journeys with them back to a place of wholeness. And I want to say to you that that same anointing, that same spirit that's represented by the Father is available for you today, that you could start navigating towards a place of peace and joy, and God could journey you out of brokenness, out of hurt, towards peace and joy again. Man, I think that's pretty good news. So let's have a look at it. So if you know the story, 
There's a man, he had two sons. The younger son said to his father, give me my share of the estate. He divides his property between them, and he goes. For us, that's just what you do when you're an adult, eh? In fact, if they haven't done that, it's like, time to go. Go flatting. Like, go. But in this culture, this is a breach of relationship. This is a hurtful thing to do. And, and this, so this, is a, this is, represents the someone who has broken relationship and walked away from relationship. And if you know the story, then basically things don't go well for him. He ends up squandering his wealth. He'd spend everything, a famine, hires himself out, feeding the pigs, long to fill the stomach with pods, and, 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 and nothing gave him anything. I wonder if you've ever broken something in relationship and found yourself in a pretty dark place. Well, I have. Like, what do you do there? Maybe it's not as serious as that. Maybe you just snapped at the kids this morning. Maybe you're just grumpy with your wife. But maybe you betrayed your marriage vows. Or maybe you did something wrong in a business dealing. What do you do when you're the person who's messed up? Well, it's interesting this. It just says three things, really. When he came to his senses. How long are you going to live passive-aggressive sulking? You want to waste a few days? You want to waste years having a dysfunctional marriage? You don't want to waste years being in a huff with your kids? What about come to your senses and go, I messed up. I shouldn't have spoken like that. I shouldn't have reacted like that. I shouldn't have done that thing. And it just says, he makes this decision, verse, I'll go back. I'm, I'm going to sort this thing out. I did something wrong. I need to sort it out. And he's willing, and then, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. So he'd broken relationship. He re- suddenly, re- he, I love that he just comes to a sense. It's like, what a stupid thing. Rather than Adam, well, he did it, and you did it, and, did it, and, did it, and it's their fault, and their fault. And that. It's like, no, no, I messed up. I was stupid. I need to come to my senses and go back and sort some stuff out. Come on, I hope there's some people here today, like, ready. You walk out of this place going, man, I need to just sort some stuff out. Because this would be stupid to keep living here and wasting days and weeks and months and years when I just need to sort it out. Um, C.S. Lewis, this is a quote from C.S. Lewis, he says this, We all want progress, but progress means getting nearer to the place you want to be. And if you have taken a wrong turning, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn, walking back to the right road, and in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. We just need to learn to make a lot of U-turns quicker. That was a stupid thing I said when I walked out the door. Sorry, dear. I shouldn't have snapped at you when you were late for school. Sorry, kids. I shouldn't have done that. It's like progress is like turn around quicker. Or stay like Adam, oh, it was your fault and her fault and they did this and if you did that and I'm sorry, but if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have got angry. Like, no, come to your senses, turn around and put it right. You know, he goes on, says Lewis, There's nothing prog- <laughs> there is nothing progressive about being pig-headed and refusing to admit a mistake. And I, and I think if you look at the present state of the world, it's pretty plain that humanity has been making some big mistakes. We're on the wrong road, and if that is so, we must go back. Going back is the quickest way on. If we're going to have relationship goals that 
at peace and joy, we need to get quick at doing turnarounds when we've done the wrong thing. We need to get quick at coming to our senses, saying, what a stupid thing I did, going back and apologizing, and just saying, I'm sorry. Um, there's some uh, Jewish um, marriage therapists that my wife and I love kind of their material. They reckon they can watch a relationship for five minutes and predict, predict with 97% probability whether the people will get divorced. But, but one of the things they talk about is repair attempts, and they are as for, listen to this, Masters of relationships repair early and often. If you're going to be good at relationships, if you're going to have relationship goals of peace and joy, guess what? You're going to have to get really good at doing U-turns and saying, I'm sorry. Doing it quickly, doing it often, and not letting it get entrenched. Relationships is not, I do this all really well. Relationships is learning to say sorry easily and quickly. Because we all do that. You know, uh, and, they say, and they have lots of strategies for how to repair. Gottman describes a repair attempt as this. Any statement or action, silly or otherwise, that prevents negativity from escalating out of control. And the guy goes on to say this about this. Uh, the reason I love the concept so much is because of that word, any. Any statement, any action. It leads a ton of room for creativity. Because every relationship is different, finding the repair strategies that work for you can actually be a unique game that belongs to just the two of you. It's like, it's like, and they, to, it's like, you know, we had an argument and there's stone cold silence, but I make the cup of tea and I put it there and walk away, and it's like, it's like, it's a repair attempt. It's not about the cup of tea, and either people or they realize someone's reaching out to me. When you, I had an argument walking out the door and you just send a little text with a love heart. It's a repair attempt. When you have an argument with the kids, but you go, hey, I don't know, are you free tonight? Do you want to go to a movie? It's a repair attempt. We need to get good at making repair attempts. Because I've got bad news for you. You are going to keep making mistakes. There's going to be a part of your life that's the prodigal until the day you die. Hopefully you just learn to make quicker turns or turnarounds, easier turnarounds, and you don't let yourself get into such deeper holes in the meantime. Because there's a part of you that's a prodigal. There's a part of me that's a prodigal that keeps just doing dumb things in relationship, that break the peace and rob the joy. Go on, just learn how to repair and learn how to open your heart to repair attempts from the other people in your world. Um, yesterday, I was, Christy and I were doing the pre-marriage stuff with a couple that, uh, that the Fletchers do. That's just an awesome thing that our church does. The Fletchers are up the back there somewhere, are they? Down here, down here. What a great way to serve the church by doing this pre-marital stuff. So um, it's so good. And one of the things around conflict, it just talked this things like six steps for seeking forgiveness. So this is, this is how to be a prodigal. Admit what you did was wrong or hurtful. Yeah, I should try to understand or emphasize, empathize with the pain you've caused. Take responsibility for your actions and make restitution as necessary. Assure your partner you will not do it again. Apologize and ask for forgiveness and forgive yourself. So I'm going to have to get really good at doing those. I think I'm kind of tattooed on my forehead or something. It's like, because every time I look in the mirror, it's going to be, oh, gee, I did it again. Okay, there it is. That's what I've got to do. Just get good at this. Because otherwise you can spend the rest of your life like Adam and Eve, blaming, shaming, hiding, 
or you can journey towards what we were meant for, what the kingdom of God has come for, what your brain is wired to enjoy, peace and joy. So some of us, all of us will have the elements of the prodigal, but I want to suggest to you, all of us also will have the elements of the elder brother, because not only will you hurt in relationships, if you're human, you will have been hurt in relationships. It's not like bring out the violin, it's just a fact. Because <laughs> we live in a broken world, stuff happens. And, you know, and, if, and if you read the story, the older brother was in the field when he came near the house, you know, the, the prodigal comes back, the father throws a big party, the, the older brother doesn't know about it, comes back, here's the party going on, it just says this, he was angry and he refused to go in. Father went out, pleaded with him. He answered his father, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me a party. And it's like he's angry with his brother and he's angry with his dad. He's bitter with his brother. He's bitter with his dad. You don't want to be the abusive person that keeps hurting relationships, but you also don't want to be the bitter, hurt people person. You know, one of the greatest tragedies I've seen in life is in relationship stuff, sometimes the perpetrator, yeah, they live with some shame and guilt, but they move on. Sometimes it's the victim that ends up with the most crippled soul because of the hurt and bitterness. And it's so unfair. It's just a fact of life. You can end up more damaged when you weren't the one that did the wrong thing. And it's like, man, I need to learn how to be the prodigal who turns around, but I also need to learn how to be the elder brother who sorts out my hurt and bitterness and pain. And like, he's bitter with his brother. You robbed us of our inheritance. You wasted a third of the family estate. Now, he's just angry. Anyone been angry with your kids, with your spouse, with your family, with your workmates, with your boss, with your employees? Like, welcome to the world. But he, he's not only angry and bitter, he's also like, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed, you, you never gave me. It's like, and, and, and dad says like this, you never asked, man. Like, you were welcome to ask. Well, you should have known. You know, I'm so sulking over here being a passive. You should have known. You all right? No, yes, I'm fine. <laughs> it's like, no, no. I gotta learn how over here as a prodigal I learn how to forgive. Over here is that I gotta ask for what I need. I like, oh well they should have known and they never treated me and I they looked after everyone. Well, did you ever ask? We've got to learn to get good at asking for things that we need. Especially nice Christian women often have to learn to ask for what they need. Because they're taught taught to be a doormat. No, no. You you're gonna end up as the elder brother, bitter. If you don't ask for what you need, and if you don't learn to process the anger of what's been done to you. So I don't want to end up on this space. You know, um, Pastor Sands talked about this, you know, Jesus said offenses will come. Yeah, over here, I'm going to do some dumb things that are going to hurt people. I better learn how to deal with this. Over here, people are going to do some dumb things that hurt me. I better learn how to deal with this. Because I don't want to live in hiding and pain and brokenness and fear. I want to pursue the goals of peace and joy. So I'm going to have to deal with both of these things. And so one of the things is to realize, man, where are you carrying hurt for where you felt let down? Because that's robbing you of your peace and joy. You know, again, the premarital stuff said this, 
Forgiveness is the decision or choice to give up the right to vengeance, retribution, and negative thoughts towards an offender in order to be free from anger and resentment. Do you get that? Why do I need to forgive? So that you can be free of being a bitter, hurt person. It's about you being free, not about them being free. It's like, you need to, I need to learn the skills of the, the process promotes healing and restoration of inner peace, and it can allow reconciliation. That's an interesting thing, picking it up, because it says, it's important to be clear what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting, condoning, or perpetuating injustice, since it's sometimes unsafe or impossible. Forgiveness does not always involve reconciliation. We often say to people, you know, there's a difference between forgiveness, love, and trust. I forgive because that sets me free. I can love you, I can be for you, but trust is about your character. You know, one of the things that I, that growing up is, um, I, I, had, I had an interesting journey with my dad. I had to learn to forgive him. I had to learn to honor him. That's another word. I had to learn to love him. But I knew that I could never trust him because he would hurt me and he would hurt my mother and he would hurt our family. So there's a different thing between trust. I love the story of David. You know, he honored Saul, but he stayed out of the range of the spears. He made sure there was a good valley because he couldn't trust. There's a thing, we're not saying, oh, it's all right, it didn't happen. No, it did happen, but I'm determined to go forward free of this thing because I want to be free of it. So I'm going to forgive. I'm going to honor. I'm going to bless. Whether there's reconciliation and trust kind of depends on the other person and whether they've done the prodigal turnaround. But as far as it depends on me, I'm going to live free of that. Because I want to pursue peace and joy. That's what God made me for. That's what the kingdom has come for. That's, what he's, that's how he's created my brain to live in that zone. And, and so again, in this premarital stuff, it also had six steps for granting forgiveness. Acknowledge your pain and anger. Interesting sentence. Allow yourself to feel disrespected. Yeah, that hurts. That wasn't good what happened. I, I feel crap because of what you did. I feel unvalued because of it. But then be specific about your future expectations and hopes. Give up your right to get even, but insist on being treated better. Let go of blame, resentment, and negativity. Communicate your act of forgiveness and work towards reconciliation when safe. It's like, oh man, if I'm going to have relationship goals of peace and joy, I'm going to have to learn to deal with the stuff over here where I've hurt the relationship, and I'm going to have to deal with the stuff over here where I've been hurt by the relationship. Well, God wants to empower you to do that. And the exciting thing is in the story, there's this incredible father figure, and he just embodies this incredible, calm, peaceful, open-hearted, compassionate, but wise response to relational chaos. And and I just want to show you what the father does, because I want to suggest to you, this is the spirit you want to live in. And God wants to anoint you with this kind of spirit. You know, the son comes, give me my property. The, the father divided it. It's like, you, as Pastor Sam often talks, we want adult-to-adult relationships. You want to leave, that's your right. Here's the, I'm not going to control you. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to be passive-aggressive. You want to make a choice. I disagree with it. I think it's going to be disastrous. But you're an adult. You make the choice. And, and you know, and when he comes back, the father has managed not to get bitter. His heart is open. He's welcoming. He runs. As soon as he sees the son wants reconciliation, he's like, I'm up for this. We're going to be reconciled. I'm so glad to have you back. He never hardened his heart in the process. 
He kept his heart soft, you know, and, and he accepted the, the, um, the confession, the admission of guilt. And, and beyond that, he even threw a party. But do you know what he didn't do? He didn't stop the son suffering the consequences of his choices because the son had made a decision and he's like, I'm, I'm open to you, I want relationship, but I'm not going to control you, I'm not going to manipulate you, and I'm not going to rescue you. I'll be there for you when you want to come back. But you've made a decision, and, and sometimes the only way you learn is from the consequences of your choices. See, it's interesting in contrast to the parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd goes after the lost sheep. The father waited. Because the son had made a calculated decision, and the father honored his decision. Totally disagreed with it, totally broke his heart, kept his heart open. But he's like, you've decided. It's a whole thing around boundaries. Man, I, I can't control you, I can't manipulate you, but I can enforce the consequences of choices that you make. You want to you wanna have affairs? Well, our marriage is over. You want to be verbally abusive? Well, I'm not going to be around. I'm going to control you, but I'm free to enforce consequences. Because sometimes the only way you learn is through consequences. You know, some of you have seen this before. There's this incredible concept in theology called relationality, kind of from the Trinity. We tend to either go for fusion and meshment. So we're all, oh, no, my son, he's, I've got to go and fix him. I've got to solve it. Our lives are all enmeshed with each other, and we're rescuing, and we're propping up. We're up, or we like, I'm over you, and I isolate or detach. The biblical thing is relationality is I'm distinct and separate, uh, and you're distinct and separate, but we're connected relationally. I love you, you're my son, but if you make a choice, there's consequences to those choices, and I'll be here when you come back, but it's your choice. He's just this calm presence. You know, and I love, and, but then with the elder brother, it just says his father went out and pleaded with him. It's interesting because he realizes the younger brother kind of made a decision. The elder brother's got lost and he's like, he, 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 he kind of tries to persuade him. And, and I love, you know, he, he goes out, he's like, mate, you're lost in something. I can, I can see you're lost in something. You need to sort this stuff out because this is destroying you. He kind of tries to persuade him. Um, you know, and, and he's like, man, you could have had a party anytime you want. You just have to ask. You have to start telling me what you want. You have to speak up because we're not enmeshed. We're not isolated. We're in relationship. And relationship is about adult relationships where you ask for what you need and I respond as best I'm able. But this is not this weird kind of enmeshment stuff. This is adult relationships. And it says he pleaded with him. This is a really strong word in the Bible. It's a word that the Apostle Paul uses for how he deals with the church. So Romans 12, it's translated there, I urge you. 1 Corinthians, I appeal to you. Philippians, I plead with you. It's like, I can't control you. I can't tell you what to do. But how I relate to you as adults is I try and persuade you. I urge you. I'm concerned about the decision you're about to make. These are why I think this is a bad decision. Please, can I urge you to reconsider? No, I'm going to do it. Well, it's your choice. There'll be consequences for that. If you change your mind, I'm here for you. This is the, relate, this is the way the church related in the New Testament. This whole thing. We're not enmeshed. We're not fused, but we're not detached. We try and 
tell him, I'm feeling like this. Oh, I'm sorry you feel like that. I apologize for my part. Uh, what do you need? Well, I need this now. Okay, I could do that. No, I can't do that. Is there something else that would do? Well, this. Okay, I could do that. That's how adults relate. Um, I was thinking about, um, this is some standard stuff if you do marriage counseling or counseling, some of the communication and conflict tips. Use I language, not you language. That's how adults relate. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling not valued when you arrive home late for dinner rather than you're a lazy, selfish slob. <laughs> it's like, no, no, you used to I language. Used to talk about the effect on you when you're late home, it makes me feel I'm not valued and reminds me when I was little, you know, and da da da. It's like explaining, hey, your behavior had this effect on me. I don't know if you realize it, but this is how I feel when you do that. Oh man, I had no idea. I'm sorry. You know, to ask for behavior change and give some options. I would like to ask you for this, that you text me or you call me if you're going to be late. Oh, oh, yeah, I don't know if I can call, but yeah, I can text you. Great, you've just journeyed towards peace and joy. Sorted some stuff out. You know, say you would, here's a th- say you would like to talk about an issue and ask if it's a good time rather than hijack with a big eruption. Hey, there's something I really want to talk about. Is now a good time? And the person's like, oh, geez, I just got home. Um, but you're not passive disappear. It's like, actually, now's not a good time. I just need to chill a bit. But what about if I go for a walk and in an hour we talk? This is like, this is simple life-saving stuff of how to do adult relationships towards peace and joy. Um, there's someone who's much better at this than me only because she's had to live with me for 31 years and be a mother to our kids and a grandmother and be a pastor and uh, work for NGOs and health sector. So I asked my wife, dear, what would be your top tips for how to do relationships? So she's going to come and share her top tips on relationships. Radio. Maybe he did get me too because I'm a bit older. <clears throat> I don't have any wisdom because I haven't got any wisdom teeth and I um, certainly don't have any grey hair, so I'm quite blessed in that way. <laughs> right. Um, it's really interesting because Steve, I didn't, I sort of knew he was speaking on the prodigal sum but didn't really know too much more. So I just, I was in the bedroom writing my notes. <laughs> um, for me, um, keeping short accounts. And what that means is it's basically doing that U-turn quicker. <laughs> um, dealing with misunderstandings or conflicts sooner. Um, don't let things fester. Um, it's easy to put your head in the sand and, and think the other person's going to sort it. But actually, why don't you? Yeah, that's really important. Um, and it sort of says in the Bible too, don't, put your, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And um, yeah, because what, what, what that happens then is that it's a place where sin and the devil can get in, it's a, fo- a foothold. And it leaves a big wedge that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It just what was a small thing can become huge. The next thing, which Steve's already touched on, is keeping your heart right, keeping your heart soft. Process and deal with your own stuff. And it, and it may mean, if it's a big issue, that you do need to get professional help in order to do that. It's just got that big. Because... A heart that's not soft, a heart that's, you know, been offended, a heart that um, hasn't forgiven can lead to to bitterness. And I know, and you will know, someone in your world or someone that that has that big, heavy weight on their life, they live with bitterness. You can see it in their whole demeanour. 
Um, it, it poisons and taints everything, the way you view your life, the way you see relationships, and the way you see God. The other thing is listening. It's really important to be present, and what that means is getting off these. <laughs> Actually, okay, I'm going to look you in the eye. I'm going to, I'm going to listen. And that might mean, I mean, some people are naturally good at listening and others are not. But that, that often means doing things like, yep, nodding and, and uh-huh. And, and one thing that's really helpful, I've found, in listening is, and it, we learnt it from um, doing counselling together. I've learnt it through seminars as well. In my professional field is what they call reflective listening or active listening, is when you listen, and then what you do is you actually repeat back exactly what they've said. Like they might say to you, oh, you know, if, oh, I'm just feeling really exhausted. Um, and the things that we need to do this weekend just make me feel overwhelmed. And then you say, oh, I heard you say that you're feeling really exhausted and, and our plans this weekend are making you feel overwhelmed. Is, have I heard you right? And then you go, oh, yeah, that's right. And you just it makes the other person just feel... Ah, oh, you've heard me, you kind of understand. But all it, all it really was was a simple thing of you've just reflected back or mirrored back what they've said. So something quite simple like that. Um, the other thing which Steve also has touched on is being honest about your needs. You need to ask, and I had to learn to do this. I had to ask for what I wanted and to say how it really is for me. Um, I mean, how is anyone supposed to know how it is for me or what I need? I mean, it's so easy to think, if, if, he love, if he really loved me or if she really cared about me, she would know what I need and how I feel. But that's more often not the case, that actually we do need to stand up and say. The other thing which Steve's really touched on, and it's a big, big topic, is about having good boundaries. Um, for me, um, one of the most significant books, obviously next to the Bible, but one of the really significant books personally for me has been a book called Boundaries by um, Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Some of you may have read it. Anyone who's had me as um, a mentor at um, college will know. I always say, read this book. It's still available. It's a, you know, it's a bestseller. Um, yeah, but it is. It's, it's about um, knowing how to say, when to say yes and when to say no. And for me, it unpacked how, um, <laughs> how I needed to take responsibility for my own life and for my own decisions, that I can't let others control my decisions. Um, and, and I needed to have good boundaries, so that meant people didn't walk over me, that I didn't feel like I was being controlled or manipulated or pressured into things. Or maybe I don't have good boundaries and I walk over people and I put pressure on them. That's not good either. So good boundaries also means that I, I don't take on other people's problems. I don't take on their offence and get all emotionally tangled up in what's going on for them. And that I recognise that the issues that are going on for other people are actually their problems. They are their issues. And a good, if I've got a good boundary in that, what it does is it enables me to support them better. I've got a bit of distance, a bit of space, and... Um, and I don't get dragged into it. So I can be a better friend. I can, yeah, I can, I can bring wisdom. And I can help them process as well. Yeah, so boundaries are huge. They've made a huge difference in my life. It's, it's enabled me to live freer, to live lighter, and to be authentic to who I am. A biggie for me, it's really important for me, is just being kind. 
kindness goes a long, long way. It doesn't mean you have to like someone or agree with them, but it's kind of like a generosity, a bigness of heart. Um, yeah, I don't, oh, I don't need to expand on that anymore. The other one for me is um, there's a lot of um, things that we assume and jump to quick conclusions about. They're from the little things to the big things. Like someone might just walk out now and I could think, oh my goodness, they didn't like what I was saying, they've got offended. <laughs> but they could have just needed to go to the toilet really urgently, you know, I don't know. Um, or it could be a misunderstanding around, you know, a plan that you'd made with a family member or a friend. And actually, I assume that they, you know, and we get it wrong and then we get offended and the plan doesn't work out. Yeah, so there's a lot of things that, that we assume about things or things that happened in the past. And I know even in my family, my wider family, that there was a major family conflict over someone assuming one thing and it didn't mean that. And that meant cousins didn't see each other for five or six years. You'd think, oh my goodness. And I really, I really felt, I wasn't going to put this one in, but I really felt, no, I think, actually I think for some, someone or some people here, there's some things that you've assumed you need to revisit, some of those assumptions, because likely they're not even correct. Yes, I'm still revisiting. And the other thing as well, it's kind of trust the nudge. Kind of, we often talk about it as instinct, but as people of God too, the Holy Spirit often nudges us. With, um, with things like, actually, I have a sense that something's not right, or you're not okay, or actually, I need to do something about that, or, yeah, so just, just go with that, because God works in those nudges, and it does take courage and bravery with all of these things, but sometimes with that too, when you're all you're going on is a hunch. So that's my eight tips that have served me well. Cool. So let's get real, Okay. This sounds like a TED talk kind of ending, doesn't it? Um, you know, we've dreamed about going into all the world. We've dreamed about the church growing and multiplying and all that. It's like, and I believe God's saying, okay, you want that? Go deeper on the foundations. And this next month, come on, go deeper in your relationship. If it's been good, make it better. If it's a bit rocky, sort some stuff out. Get some help. I want to invite you to stand. Just a reminder again, what did Paul say the kingdom of God is? Just right relationships. What does that feel like? It feels like peace and it feels like joy. It feels like I feel safe here. I'm not on tender hooks. I'm not agitated. I'm not afraid. And it feels joyful. I'm looking forward to hanging out with my family. I love to just, uh, as these guys just play from a... I don't know how you connect with God if it's close your eyes or raise a hand. I just want us for a minute. I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And don't, don't go digging for stuff, but if he just prompts something, I love, the devil brings condemnation, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. He just puts his finger on something. He shines his little light on something specific. So I just want to ask, just to be open, God, is there anywhere like I'm the prodigal? And I just need to come to my senses, turn around and go back and say, sorry, I need to repair some stuff. Maybe it's a phone call to a kid. Maybe it's an email to someone you haven't seen. Maybe it's asking for a coffee. And it's like, man, I'm sorry. That was, that was dumb. I really value you. 
I want us to have a good relationship. I'm sorry. Is there anywhere that the Spirit just says, man, if you would, if you would repair this, you're going to step into peace and joy. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. Thank you for your beautiful presence. Then I want to ask, is there some parts of your life, it's not if, there will be, because we're all human, that you're like the elder brother. I'm just, when I, I don't know, I just, I'm still angry about this thing that happened. I'm a bit bitter, I'm a bit resentful. Either something that was done or something that wasn't done. It's like, God, I don't want to live with this bitter, little part of bitterness in my heart. Is there someone you need to forgive? Or is there someone you need to go and start talking to about, actually telling about what you need? Just again, just if the Spirit prompts, just respond to that. I feel like there's this, there's this wonderful sense of this, the Holy Spirit brings this, just this sense of the Father who just knows how to walk into complex things and just make it better. And I wonder if you could open your heart and say, Holy Spirit, would you help me to live in that space that's just kind of a bit more calm, a bit more kind, a bit more big-hearted, a bit more generous of spirit that welcomes back those who have hurt me but that reaches out where people have been hurt but that actually builds community again because God I can dream about reaching the world and changing the world and growing my business but if home is miserable it's just not worth it I want there to be an abundant spirit in my home. So Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. Just give us something of your joy. Give us something of your peace. Give us something of the heart of this wise, loving, caring Father that just knows how to do relationships well.